Okay, we'll get going here. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you just for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our source of all things. Lord, we thank you that he is our Savior, but Lord, that he is and wants to be so much more to us. He wants to be our very life. And Lord, we do have a new life hidden safely in him waiting to be found and appropriated, waiting to be one day revealed completely when he is revealed in all of his glory. Lord, we thank you that this very day he is there at your right hand as our great high priest, as our advocate, interceding on our behalf. And Lord, we just pray that we would come to know him more and more. And Lord, that we would learn to abide in him and let him abide in us. And Lord, we just long to have his fruit produced in and through us. Now, Lord, we thank you for the study we have before us today as we get into the issue of justification. Lord, we thank you just for the righteous standing we have in in, in your presence because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we come to you now. Amen. Okay, last week we didn't have these... Um, props up here, and I just, I don't know what happened there, but, um, but I want to put these up, you know, we, t- we talked about, about this, that, you know, the fact that I am alive, well, I should have put the other one up first, I'm dead to the old, and I'm alive to n- the new, that is a positional truth. That's not a truth of of my condition. That's a truth of my position. And uh, that's important to understand because I have a lot of people say, well, you know, how am I dead to the old? How am I dead to sin? You know, I still struggle with sin. They're looking at things on the basis of their condition, their daily life. You know, whether or not we... Live our lives on a day-to-day basis as one who is dead to the old and alive to the new has to do with whether we by faith take hold of the truth of who we are. Do I see myself still as alive to sin or do I see my relationship to sin having changed because of my position in Christ? In Christ, you know, I am no longer part of the Adamic race. In, in Christ, I am a new creation. And only as I grow in my understanding and confidence in this reality will it begin to change my daily life, change my condition. And a lot of believers have no idea who they are in Christ. They have no idea what they have in Christ. They read some of the New Testament scriptures that describe what the new life has the potential to look like, and they try to produce that. And it's a hard, long, frustrating journey trying to produce the Christian life. Rather than learning to see myself in Christ 
and letting Him transform me. Now, you know, the last few weeks we spent looking at defining what our position and condition are. Now we want to move forward, and as we move forward through the book, we're going to be looking at a number of different truths that are tied to our position, to who we are in Christ. And we, along the way, will see how these things are meant to uh, impact our daily life, impact our condition. But first we have to know who we are and what we have. We have to believe it. We have to learn to appropriate it. And it will begin to alter our, our condition. But as we saw in chapter 2 a long, long time ago, that there is a time factor involved. None of this happens instantly. It all happens over time. Now... He opens this chapter by saying, It may help us to see the importance of the principle of position in our Christian life if we consider the fact that God began training us in positional truth before we ever born again. He says, According to his faithful ministry, the Holy Spirit brought about an initial conviction of sin by revealing our needy condition. And you know, the Spirit's work in most of our lives started over in this realm, in the realm of our condition, showing us our need, showing us our sinfulness, showing us our lack of righteousness. And he says, you know, through varied pressures, and circumstances, we came to realize our sinful state before God. So we began to see our sinfulness. He says, then the Holy Spirit may have used a faithful witness uh, to make clear to us from the word that we were lost sinners positionally. See, we were in the wrong family. It wasn't just the sins that we were committing in our daily lives. It was the fact that we were part of a lost race. We had been born, he says, into a fallen, sinful, uh, uh, condemned Adamic line. He quotes from 1 Corinthians 15.22. As in Adam, all die. Then from Ephesians 2.1. You know, we're told in our natural birth we were born how? Dead in trespasses and sins. Then according to Romans 5.17. By one man, that is Adam's offense, death reigned. And so it all started with Adam and his original sin. uh, with his original sin he became the head of a fallen race of people and that is the family into which you and I were born now he goes on he says in his perfect love and holiness 
God made it possible for us to be removed from our position of death in Adam and to be born anew into his family through our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, I don't have, you know, a, a, a board up here showing our former position in Adam, but we were born in Adam, and God made provision for us to be taken out of Adam and brought over and placed in Christ. If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so, he says, you know, by His grace, we were brought to, uh, to turn from our natural fallen condition and position and to believe on His Son as our personal Savior, our new position before God. Now, he does acknowledge here, much of this wonderful transaction and transition, no doubt, was not understood at the time. You know, the day that you and I accepted Christ as Savior, we saw him, you know, taking care of our sin issue, but we didn't really grasp the positional change that had taken place. We didn't grasp that we had been taken out of Adam and put in Christ. Uh, you know, we had a very simple view of our salvation. We didn't understand the complexities of what took place. You know, we talk about the simplicity of salvation. It is simple from our side of the equation. It's very complex from God's side. And sometimes we, people fail to grasp that. They uh, take a simplistic view of salvation. They don't grasp all that God did. It was simple from our side. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw Him to be God's answer. We put our confidence in Him. That was all that we were required to do. But God did... Many, many things as a result of that faith. He took us out of Adam. He placed us in Christ. And we're going to see today and in subsequent weeks some of the things that took place when God took us out of Adam and placed us in Christ. Some of the very significant changes... So he says, much of this wonderful transaction and transition, no doubt, was not understood at the time. But he says, however, it is all important that the truths of our new birth and justification become crystal clear if we are to experience the benefits of our position in Christ. If we really want to... Uh, receive the benefits in a, uh, of, of our position in Christ, receive them in a very practical, daily way, we have got to come to see and understand what it means to be in Christ. We've got to understand the riches of His grace that He showers upon us. And He says, superficiality... In this foundational step, inevitably 
makes for shallowness and immaturity throughout our subsequent walk. He says, if we only have a superficial understanding of what has taken place positionally, it will impact our Christian life. It will hinder us in our day-to-day condition from really beginning to reap the benefits of what we have in Christ. If all I see of my salvation is that Christ paid for my sins and gave me a ticket to heaven, if that's all I see of my salvation, then my daily life is going to be an ongoing struggle. And if I have the mistaken idea that, okay, God saved me, now He's expecting me to do my best to live for Him, I'm really going to have a frustrating life. If I start thinking God is counting on me to accomplish certain things for Him, that's going to even add more frustration to it. Rick, I would say most all of us have said been there done Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that is beautiful to me in all of this is when the Lord showed me that even this, I needed His Spirit to enable me as one who is in Christ Jesus to understand these things and to begin to, for Him to make them as my own. Yeah. Again, Scripture says we are His workmanship. We are the workmanship of God. Everything, you know, that we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. And it's only as we come to know Him as our source of all things will we begin to experience the benefits of it in our day-to-day life. And so many skip over the passages, you know, I don't want to get caught up in all that theology and doctrine. They skip over the passages that really lay down the foundational truth for the Christian. And they jump over to the passages that describe the Christian life. You know, I want to, I want to look at what's practical. So I go over here and I read, you know, the description of of what the Christian life has the potential to look like. And we're going to make our best effort. How many people try to produce the fruit of the Spirit? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, 
and focus on, you know, you get caught up in the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, peace, long-suffering, you know, all this. And you get focused on one of them and there's no balance. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of our best efforts. And so, you know, he says, man, if we really do not come to understand all that's involved in our position, it's going to make for shallowness and immaturity throughout our Christian life. Now he goes on to define something about justification. He says, the meaning of justification is to pronounce righteous, not to make righteous. It is impu- what is imputed is not, in fact, imparted. It's not that you and I became righteous at the moment of salvation. We were pronounced righteous. We were declared to be such based on our relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a little later on, I'm going to throw a slide up that hopefully will help uh, maybe visually show a little bit better what takes place. But, you know, Christ was made unto us as righteousness. We were not made righteous. I am not righteous. You are not righteous. But God declares us to be righteous based on our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness is credited to our account. And so that's what he says in the next sentence. To be justified means that the believer is viewed in Christ as righteous and treated as such by God. It means that because I'm in Christ, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And he counts that to me. Now, I've heard, and I did it for a long time, I've often heard the definition of justification as being just as if I never sinned. And I use that definition for a long time and have found that falls short. That would leave me innocent. It would not leave me declared righteous. To be just as if I never sinned would put me in the situation of Adam and Eve in the garden before they partook of the fruit. They were innocent, but they were not righteous. Justification goes beyond that. It's not just as if I never sinned, but it's as if God sees me as being clothed in righteousness. I have a righteous standing in His eyes. Now, he says, the righteousness of our position in the Lord Jesus is increasingly manifested in our condition as we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 The more I come to know Christ as my life, the more His righteousness will manifest itself 
in and through me in my daily life. But it will be His righteousness showing itself through me. I have no righteousness of my own. It's all of Him. And he quotes from 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us righteousness and redemption. He is made our source of righteousness. Now, he goes on to say, until we clearly see the positional perfection of our justification in Christ, our conception of and faith in all other aspects of our position will be out of focus. In other words, he's saying, you know, all these other things we're going to look at and consider in future chapters regarding our position in Christ, if we do not, first of all, understand justification, they will be out of focus. Because justification is foundational to everything else. You've got to understand justification. And if there is any doubt in your understanding of justification... Stop me, ask questions, do whatever is necessary. You need to understand justification. It's imperative. Because, you know, the next thing we're going to look at is assurance. And until you understand justification as a positional truth, you're going to struggle with assurance. As you come to see how stable your righteous standing in the eyes of God is, you're going to see why you have to- can have total assurance of your salvation. If you do not grasp the stability of your, your, of your uh, righteous standing, you're going to struggle with assurance. You're going to vacillate. He says, in the Old Testament type, God explained to Israel that the life of the flesh is in the blood. He says, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Leviticus 17.11 Now the value of the life sacrificed is the measure of the worth of the blood shed. He says, you know, the value of that blood is determined by the value of the life that is offered up. In that, these type sacrifices, type being a picture... Um, were animals, innocent and spotless though they were, still it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Hebrews 10.4 All this was a cancellation in anticipation of God's perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. So you say, the sacrifices in the Old Testament never took away sin. They simply made it possible 
for those sins to be canceled uh, temporarily, as it were, until someone would come on the scene who could actually pay for them. And so in the next paragraph, he says, God the Son became also the perfect Son of Man in order that he might go to the Father's altar, the cross of Calvary, and there willingly shed his precious blood in full atonement for our sins. Complete payment made, he was free to rise again in resurrection, ascended and glorified eternal life, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, seven. There are two important factors, he says in this verse. First of all, in whom we have redemption. Here we have our position of justification. When we receive him as our Savior, he received us, and we were born in him in newness of life, his life. And secondly, because of the perfection of his atonement, it was all according to the riches of his grace. He says, complete and eternal justification is a gracious gift. It's not something we earned. Utterly impossible to be earned in any way whatsoever. Romans 4, 5, to him who worketh not but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now... I want to try to illustrate justification in this way. Here was Adam, and I was in Adam. Here's Adam and me. And here's a a ledger system, debts and credits. And I entered this world with a sin debt. A sin debt I inherited from Adam. Now, to have a relationship with God, I needed righteousness. I needed to be righteous in His sight. But I had a debt. And God's answer was to send Christ into the world. You know, I had a debt, but I had no credits. I had no righteousness on my credit side. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We had a sin debt. We had no pos- nothing positive on the credit side. So here comes Christ on the scene. Christ came into the world debt free. I think the virgin birth had a lot to do with Christ entering the world, not inheriting the, uh, the sin debt of Adam. He came into the world free of any debt of his own. And he brought with him a life that was absolutely and completely righteous. He was righteous in the fullest extent. In fact, when he ultimately, you know, stood before the Sanhedrin and and before Pilate, even with false witnesses, they could not find any crime. The Sanhedrin uh, condemned him for acknowledging that he was the Son of God. Pilate condemned him for acknowledging he was the King of the Jews. (laughs) 
neither was a crime, and both were true. He basically was put to death for being who he was in a world that didn't want him. But he was absolutely and completely righteous. So he had no debt of his own. So when he went to the cross, he made it possible for God to write paid in full across our debt. Now, this is the extent of what many see of salvation. When they think of salvation, it's they talk about the fact that, you know, we're saved because our sins are forgiven. That's part of the picture. It's not the whole picture. So many, when they think of salvation, they think of it from this perspective. You know, here I am, Christ died, He paid for my sin, now I can go to heaven. There's a problem though. We've still got a big flat zero on the credit side. Our debt's been paid, we're out of debt, but we still don't have any righteousness. And to be in God's presence, we need to be righteous. Adam and Eve weren't in heaven. They were on earth here. God would come and visit with them. But they were here on earth. They were not up in the heavenly realm. Why? They were innocent, but they were not righteous. They had not been declared one way or the other. They were put here in an innocent state. And we need more than to simply be returned to some state of innocence. We needed to be righteous. And so God's answer was to take me out of Adam and put me in Christ. Now my debt was paid for, so I bring zero debt across. I also bring zero righteousness across. I bring a big flat zero into my relationship with Christ. But righteousness plus zero is righteousness. See, Christ canceled the debt, but now He brought me over. My debt was out of the way. He couldn't bring me over, you know, with the sin... If we had brought sin across in the debt column, we would have had a problem. So we had to cancel the debt first. And then take me debt free because of payment. And to bring me into a relationship with Christ. That's why in Romans 4.25, Paul writes, he that is Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The death of Christ dealt with the debt. 
The resurrected life of Christ provides the righteous standing that is needed. The death and resurrection are both important. We do not have imputed to our account some righteousness that Christ had in eternity past. We have imputed to our account the righteousness that God has this very day in the presence of the Father. (coughs) He was raised again to become your and my source of righteous standing in the eyes of God. Now he says... You know, a further fact to be remembered is that all of our sins were future at the time they were paid for since the work of the cross was accomplished when we were yet unborn. Actually, more than that, they were accomplished 2,000 years before you and I were born. Our Father took everything into consideration before he made a single move on our behalf. God knew everything about you, everything about me, before he made this declaration regarding us. And so he says, Hence, we can be fully assured that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forever forgiven. In Acts 13, 38, and 39, it says, Through this man uh, is uh, preached unto you forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. You have a righteous standing in God no matter what you do. No matter what sin you commit, you still have a righteous standing. You are not righteous. You have a righteous standing based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sin you have ever committed, every sin you will ever commit has already been paid for. Your account is paid in full forever. And your righteous standing is there. Now he says, since justification is in Christ and not in ourselves, it is a truth of position, not condition. So on this positional side, I'm going to put up here justification. That is a positional truth. I doubt if any of you live a totally righteous life. But you are positionally righteous in the eyes of God. It is imputed to you but not imparted. 
He says, we receive justification in the Lord Jesus by faith in the word. It is a fact believed, not an experience received. I guess I should put that up there. It is a fact believed. God calls upon you and me to believe that you are clothed this very day in the righteousness of God. That when he looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness covering you. It's not an experience we receive, it's a fact we believe. Now, as we believe that fact, it can begin to change our life. And it really will. If we begin to, by faith, really see ourselves as we are in Christ, it will begin to change the way you live. But he says, you know, it's a fact believed, not an experience received. Furthermore, he says it has nothing to do with our condition, but everything to do with our position. No matter how you're living your life on a day-to-day basis, it does not alter this fact. This is a positional truth. It's based on Christ. Who He is. What He has. But, he says, however... As we rest in our justified position, our spiritual condition is affected. The more I rest in the reality that my righteous standing is in Christ, the more it's going to change my spiritual condition. Why? Because for it will keep me Christ-focused rather than self-focused. If I think that my righteous standing in the eyes of God rests on me doing the right thing, I'm going to be focused on myself and doing the right things. If I come to see that it all rests upon me being in Christ, my focus is more and more on Him. And he says, you know, we experience something of the newfound peace and joy of the Lord and his love for us. Peace and joy. Something that's missing in many Christian lives. There's a whole lot of believers out there that are not experiencing any peace. And they aren't exhibiting a lot of joy. And you wonder why we aren't having an impact on the lost and dying world around us. I remember what a young woman in Ireland that had uh, gone to the church we got involved in. And there had been a lot of problems there. And somebody had asked her uh, why she didn't invite her family and friends to come to church. And she said, because I don't want to get their lives as screwed up as mine. 
Now that does not lead to uh, the, the Christ, uh, Christianity spreading like wildfire. But the church there, when we got there, had been very legalistic. It had been all about, again, looking at what the Christian life uh, has the potential to look like and going out there and trying to produce it. And there was no joy. There was no peace. There was a lot of turmoil. And it was impacting them. As I said a few weeks ago, you know, one of the first ones that came to us and wanted to meet with us said, you're the first Christians we've ever met that seem to enjoy the Christian life. And that's a, not a, to our credit, that is a, just a horrible commentary on what they had seen of Christianity. And it's not like Joan Allen and I don't have struggles and have failures and have down days. But by and large, we enjoy the Christian life. Why? Because we see ourselves in Christ. And it doesn't, it's not resting on our shoulders in our day to day condition to have to produce something. We find peace and joy in knowing the stability of our relationship. In Christ. That even if I struggle and fail today, God still sees me clothed in Christ's righteousness. That even if I struggle and fail today, and as we'll see next week, I still have full assurance of my salvation. As we'll see in future weeks, even if I struggle and fail today, I am still set apart from this world as someone belonging to God. If my life, if my relationship to God rested on me, I'd be in trouble. It rests on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we see that, the more we believe that, the more it will change everything. But it all starts with us coming to understand our justification. That God sees you today, regardless of your struggles in life today, He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He already canceled your debt. You're debt free. But now you've entered into a relationship with Christ where His righteousness is counted as yours. I challenge you to look at passages dealing with justification and begin to believe God on this one. That your righteous standing is based on you being in Christ. Any questions? We'll look at assurance next week. Okay. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you that our righteous standing is not based upon our daily day, daily condition. Lord, there are, our, our daily lives can be up and down. They can be marked at times by sin. But Lord, our righteous standing is in Christ. And Lord, I thank you that as we grow in grace and the knowledge of him, 
that he can actually begin to produce his righteous works through us. Lord, that he can produce what we cannot. Lord, I just pray that each one in this room might come to really see themselves, not as saved sinners, but as children of the Most High God. Heavenly citizens, joint heirs with Christ, who may still struggle with sin, but who are indeed new creations. And Lord, may that new creation life increasingly manifest itself in each life here. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.